Imagine not knowing what your income would be each week. Financial planning would be a nightmare. Almost 90% of Vision's income is free will donations. When supporters commit to monthly giving, it provides greater certainty when budgeting for regular expenses and weighing up new opportunities that arise. Knowing we can rely on regular gifts each month takes some of the guesswork out of operating a faith ministry. Monthly givers who share our mission are called Visionary Extra Mile Partners. And right now, you're invited to join this growing group of faithful supporters. The amount of your tax-deductible monthly gift is completely up to you. What is most important is knowing that you are standing with us to reach Australia for the gospel. Click the banner at vision.org.au or in the Vision app to find out more about becoming a Visionary Extra Mile Partner. It only takes a few minutes, but will have an eternal impact. Vision. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Welcome to On The Rock, God's unchanging word for changing times with Dr. Camille Majdali, Director of Teach All Nations Melbourne, Australia. Dr. Camille lived and studied in the Middle East, served as a principal of a leading Bible college and now travels the world teaching God's word. He has an extraordinary knowledge of the Bible and a dynamic ability to make God's truth come alive in a real, practical way. This episode of On The Rock will give you keys to survive and succeed in the days ahead by hearing and doing the words of Jesus. It's wonderful to see God at work, but it comes at a price. And in today's program, we're going to see that if we don't want to pay the price, we have no future. Our series is called The Kingly Messiah, Understanding the Gospel of Matthew, Part 1 a verse-by-verse audio commentary, which is part of the larger Understanding the Bible series. Understanding the Bible is geared to helping people learn God's Word, apply it in their lives, and bear much fruit. We want to help people have a sure foundation for the future by building their lives not on the sinking sand, but on the rock. And we build on the rock by hearing and doing God's Word. So here in the Gospel of Matthew, we have an interesting lesson called Cities Rebuked, found in Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 to 30. What cities? Well, they were Galilean cities that Jesus ministered in. In one case, Capernaum, he was actually based in that city. If anybody should have been responsive to the ministry of Jesus, it should have been the very places where he ministered so powerfully and effectively. But we're going to discover a mystery Despite his effective, powerful ministry, these cities did not repent. They didn't accept the gospel. They were happy to receive the miracles, but they were smug, self-satisfied, and unchanged. Or they were just downright doubtful, skeptical, proud, and resistant. The judgment that Jesus pronounces on these cities is almost hair-raising. But let's face it, sin is serious business. Sin is the proverbial millstone tied around the neck and then cast into the sea. And to be sinful is to be offensive, and to be offensive means to come under judgment. So unless we rectify the situation, and let me tell you, the only way to rectify it is not by your own efforts, but through God's grace and the gospel of Jesus, then we're in serious trouble, serious, serious trouble, as you'll see that these cities had. 
But Jesus will go from rebuking these cities to praising God for basically revealing his truth, not to the high and mighty, but to the lowly and the humble. Let me read to you a little bit from our range of verses in Matthew eleven twenty to 30. Let me read to you from verse 21 and onward. Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. Well, what is he saying here? First of all, Chorazin and Bethsaida were Israelite cities, as far as I know. Israelite cities near the shore of the Sea of Galilee. In fact, in Capernaum's case, it's right on the shore, and Chorazin is about two to three kilometers to the north. These were Israelite cities. They had all the advantages of the heritage, the word, the traditions, the presence of God, the the temple of God, the service of God in the temple and out of the temple. They had all this. And then, most importantly, they were exposed to the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. They not only heard his words of life, but they saw the miracles left, right, and center. But instead of being blessed, Jesus is basically cursing them. He says, woe to you. Watch out. You're in big trouble. And then he uses a most amazing parallel. He talks about two heathen cities, Tyre and Sidon, which weren't very far away, by the way, from Chorazin and Bethsaida. They were on the Mediterranean coast, whereas Chorazin and Bethsaida were inland in the Rift Valley. I estimate no more than 100 kilometers away. Anyway, Tyre and Sidon, who do get prophetic attention in the Old Testament, It says they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes if they had had the same miracles done in them that were done in Chorazin and Bethsaida. How can this be? Well, just remember, there is a historic precedent. When Jonah gave a simple message, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be destroyed, he had a result in a heathen place that no prophet of Israel ever had back home. The whole city repented. Nineveh did. And Jesus is saying Tyre and Sidon would have done likewise. Let's read now the entire portion found in Matthew eleven twenty to 30. The passage or lesson is called Cities Rebuked. And it's Matthew eleven twenty to 30. So let's listen carefully to God's glorious word. Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, 
Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seems good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Our reading is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 to 30, and our lesson is called Cities Rebuked. Well, what are these impenitent cities that Jesus gives the heavy word to? Matthew eleven twenty, Having focused on a singularly righteous man like John the Baptist, now Jesus turns his attention on his tone-deaf generation, his neighbors, even his headquarters, his adopted town of Capernaum. He aims his ire at the very cities where he had ministered so faithfully. The challenge is, the more faithful the ministry, the more condemnable are the ones who refuse to repent. Jesus did many mighty works in these Galilean cities, and yet they would not turn from their sin. Let's start off with the first two cities, Chorazin and Bethsaida. Jesus pronounces woes on both of them. As I shared earlier, Chorazin is about two to three kilometers north of the Sea of Galilee, on its north shore, of course, and Bethsaida, which means house of the fishermen, which is in the northeastern corner of the lake, is also condemned. It says that many mighty works were done in them, but they would not turn or return to God. And then Jesus likens the two heathen cities of Phoenicia, namely Tyre and Sidon, and claims they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes had they experienced the very miracles that Chorazin and Bethsaida witnessed. That's a pretty heavy indictment, and it gets worse, because the next city is going to be Jesus' own city. Before we do, let's look at verse 22 of Matthew 11. Here's a remarkable statement. Tyre and Sidon will find it more tolerable in the day of judgment than the two Galilean cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida. It almost implies what we call degrees of punishment. Now, it doesn't mean that they won't be judged, because apparently they will. But Tyre and Sidon's punishment may be less severe than these Israelite towns who were shown great grace, and yet they refused to turn to God. Bad move in any dispensation. And then we have Capernaum versus Sodom. In Matthew eleven twenty three, the city of Capernaum may have become puffed up because it hosted Christ and his ministry. It basically was his headquarters, Capernaum, after he was rejected in Nazareth. We read about this in Matthew 4. In fact, by moving to Capernaum, we learned that he fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah 9, that the people who dwelt in darkness have seen a great light, because Capernaum and the region of Galilee experienced a lot of darkness, 
pretty and peaceful as it may be most of the time, because it's on the international highway and conquering armies and occupiers and soldiers of all sorts showed up unannounced, uninvited, and wreaked death and destruction and havoc wherever they went. And this didn't just happen once, it happened repeatedly throughout biblical history and non-biblical history too. So this was a very blessed place, Capernaum. They hosted Jesus. And if you look at the many things he either spoke or did at Capernaum in the gospel narrative, it's very, very impressive. But the problem is with Capernaum, they become haughty and arrogant, and they just wouldn't repent. Now, their exalted status as being the headquarters of Christ was utterly worthless without repentance. Even sinful Sodom would have repented and remained until now if they had the same miracles done in them that were done in Capernaum. Now, in a sense, it was a big insult to Capernaum that the Savior of the world and the Lord of glory put them in the same sentence as Sodom. Because probably to the natural eye, Capernaum was an upright, upstanding place compared to lewd Sodom. But, you know, God never, never just focuses on outward appearances. If he did, he'd be fooled by the hypocrites. But, of course, God is not. And he knew that the people of Capernaum had the same sin issues, maybe not the same sins, but the same sin issues as Sodom and, for that matter, the rest of the world. So by comparing Capernaum to Sodom and saying Sodom scrubs up better was really the ultimate demotion, and it came from Christ himself. Because those who exalt themselves shall be abased, and those who humble themselves shall be exalted. Or, as Matthew twenty three twelve says, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. And then in Matthew eleven twenty four, the land of Sodom will have an easier time relatively in the day of judgment than puffed up, arrogant Capernaum. Now, all three of these cursed cities, Capernaum, Chorazin, and Bethsaida, today are no more than archaeological sites. They are not living, vibrant cities as they were in the time of Jesus. So, yes, he gives them a mouthful, an earful, shall we say, because they didn't do the right thing. And let me tell you, failure to repent means to perish eternally. And that's a horrible, horrible thing. Why is he such a great savior? Because he saves us with a great salvation. And he saves us from a great condemnation. From this point, though, Jesus changes course. Matthew eleven twenty-five to 26. After condemning three cities, Jesus begins to praise God. I mean, that's a good way to end anything. Start off with praising God, praise God throughout, and when you're all finished, praise God some more. Paul does that at the end of his discourse on Israel in Romans chapter 11. It's an amazing doxology. So Christ praises God. He thanks the Lord of heaven and earth because the truth of the kingdom was concealed from the worldly wise and from the prudent and from the religious elite. And yet the truth of the kingdom is revealed to babes. And therefore, the very famous phrase of Jesus comes to pass. The last shall be first, 
and the first last. Jesus acknowledges that this is good in the sight of God Almighty, that the wise and prudent are blinded, but that the babes are revealed the things of the kingdom. That leads us to this amazing and important thing called knowing God. In John 17, verse 3, Jesus defines eternal life as knowing the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. The most important knowledge we can ever have has to do with the knowledge of God. And you could be the most knowledgeable person in the world when it comes to earthly things, but you'll be greatly impoverished and bankrupt if you don't have the knowledge of God. Now, no man truly knows the Son of God but the Father. No one truly knows God the Father except the Son and any person whom the Son will reveal God. That brings to me a parallel in John fourteen six. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It's an audacious claim, but we believe it's a true claim. Jesus doesn't lie, and he doesn't tell us that because he thinks he's so wonderful. He tells us that because he is truthful. And in fact, what we'll see here is he, he actually claims to be the opposite, meek and lowly in heart. And truly, anyone who humble themselves to the death on the cross when he had the power to avoid it has to be meek and lowly in heart to begin with. You see, that's what the new birth will do for us. We can see and know the things of God that the natural man, no matter how pious and sincere, could never have a clue about. And then we come to the wonderful invitation in the last three verses of Matthew 11. That's verses 28 to 30. If you are laboring and overburdened, come unto Christ, and Christ will give you rest. I mean, it can't be more simple or wonderful. Are you burdened? And I dare say 90 plus percent of you are. Then come to Jesus, cast all your care on him because he cares for you. Let him do all the heavy lifting and take your rest. Verse 29 of Matthew 11. Christ says, take my yoke upon yourself and learn of me. For I'm meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest unto your souls. Be a disciple and follow him with all of your heart, all of the time. Jesus is meek and lowly in heart, and those who follow him will find rest for the souls. Meekness is empowerment by grace. We look to God, and in meekness, when we do so, he fights our battles, vindicates our reputation, does our heavy lifting, obtains for us our rights and rewards, and helps us to be blessed in every season. By meekness, and only meekness, we inherit the earth. When you take hold of Christ's meekness and humility, you are flooded with grace, which lift you up to a better place in God. Like the Good Shepherd, you will be made to lie down in broad green pastures, and you will drink of the still, cool waters. And then our final verse, which is the last verse of Matthew 11, and that's verse 30. Christ's yoke. Christ's yoke is easy and his burden is light. Believe, receive, and obey is much easier than living your life and fighting every battle in your own strength. I had been given an illustration that is very helpful. Remember the yoke of Christ. Think of two oxen on the same yoke. 
When it's Christ's yoke and you put it on you, remember Christ is there too, right beside you. Christ does all the heavy pulling of his own yoke. Because he does all the heavy pulling of his yoke, you who are now beside him, you just follow along. You're not using your strength. You're not being wearied. You're not being overcome or overrun by anything. You are walking alongside of the Lord. He's pulling the yoke. You follow along. And yet you're getting all the benefits. All the labor is done. And yet you've hardly expended any of your own energy. Because in a sense, that also is part of the spirit of meekness, deferring to God, deflecting to God, pointing to God, letting him do the work, for the battle is the Lord's. So what a promise, and you'd be wise to receive it. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. Now our lesson is called Cities Rebuked. Our lesson for life, hearing and obeying the word of God brings innumerable blessings, disobeying spawns an avalanche of curses. Remember to visit us at our Facebook page, Teach All Nations Education, and thank you for liking our page. You can also go to our homepage and subscribe to the free monthly Issachar teaching e-letter, bringing future-ready advice to your inbox on a monthly basis with articles from the Bible, Victorious Christian Living, and current events in the light of God's Word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the invitation to come to Jesus and find rest. Lord, to all my listeners, may they come to you, bring their burdens, cast all those cares on Jesus, for he cares for them. Take his yoke upon them, swap the heavy yoke, the burdensome yoke, the bondage yoke, and take the yoke of Christ. And Christ will do all the pulling, and they will get to do all the reaping. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Today's On The Rock was brought to you by Teach All Nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, to download podcasts, view our online store, attend special events, sign up for our teaching newsletter, make a donation to support this ministry, or to invite Dr. Camille to speak, log on to www.tan.org.au or write to us at Post Office Box 493, Mount Waverley 3149. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.